what got you here won't be the thing that's going to get you there. And so there's this switchback where a lot of people are, are promoted into management. All of a sudden they're like saddled with, oh, I got to manage people because they were really awesome at name that skill and capability. They're a phenomenal accountant or, you know, they, they were um, fantastic at writing code. And then all of a sudden they're saddled with managing people too. And it's a different thing. It's a really, really different beast. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hey everyone, welcome. I am so glad that you are here to Management Development Unlocked. I have Seth Rosenblum here with me. And Seth is a fantastic executive coach. And Seth, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are and what you do. Thanks, Eric. I'm really glad to be here. I have been coaching executives and coaching non-executives too, probably for about 15 years. I also do a lot of consulting for leadership and management around how organizations are run, how they're set up. That can get into management training, management development, leadership development. I also do a lot of org design, you know, with small, medium, even big, even big companies. I've been getting consulting, gosh, probably about 20 years. And before that, grew up in Seattle in high tech, product management, program management. I stepped away from it for a while to sort of maybe resolve the sins I committed as being a young manager. And then and then came back to to consulting and was really interested in helping teams and companies sort of do do big hard things and drive big change, whether it's system driven or technology driven or org driven. And it it just sort of naturally gravitated towards coaching and, and leadership development. And so I've hang my own shingle. I also work with some great partners in the Seattle area, although I've got a client, you know, based nationally. Um, spend about eh, probably about fifty to sixty percent of my time one-on-one coaching, and probably the other forty, fifty percent on some kind of org development or leadership development project for a client. Wow! With all that experience, I am curious: what's your favorite thing to do? With all the things you've done, what's your favorite? Oh gosh, you know, I don't know if I. If I have just one, I, I do, I, I do ultimately think like, you know, I like helping people. I mean, I think like that's the, that's kind of the motivator. And I like helping people help them do their jobs or help them run their business or help them manage their organization. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that when I get to do that in a, you know, in coaching, when I do that in helping work with leaders, whether it's facilitating a meeting or, or whether it's kind of rolling out a, a program around capabilities, even you're doing culture and values work with companies. I just wrapped up a, a really fun project with a, a startup here in Seattle on that. And and I think that's that's the stuff that like really gets me curious. And I like seeing the impact that way. You know, we have in common the the whole idea of helping people. Like that's just, that's my DNA. I want to help. I want to help folks get better. So, you know, specific to this show, I like helping new managers hit the ground running. So I'd like to talk with you first off about your philosophy of management development. What is it? (laughs) Do you have Uh, one? Do I have one? You know, I think I do. I think I kind of look from the outside in first. I'm really curious. What's the, what's the system? What's the organization that my client is managing in? 
because they're really different. You know, the way a new thoracic surgeon needs to manage the operating theater versus the way a newly promoted dev lead, you know, say in a big platform group at a high tech, you know, company just down the road here needs to manage is really different. And so I think the first thing I'm always sort of thinking about is like, what's the mission of the team? What's the mission of the people? Because what their skills are and what they need uh, and how they need to be supported and led is going to be really situationally different. And so I think that's the first step of my philosophy. You know, and then I think that the thing that we've probably all experienced in our own careers is what what got you here won't be the thing that's going to get you there. And so there's this switchback where a lot of people are are promoted into management. All of a sudden they're like saddled with, oh, I got to manage people because they were really awesome at name that skill and capability. They're a phenomenal accountant or a brilliant consultant, you know, or they were a great resident in medical school, or, you know, they, they were um, fantastic at writing code. And then all of a sudden they're saddled with managing people too. And it's a different thing. It's a really, really different beast. And so I guess the other piece of that very practical philosophy is probably what you did to get you to this moment of becoming a manager is not what you're going to need to lean on in the next chapter of what you got to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how you focus on mission because before you can set goals, before you can do any of that stuff, you need to know which way is north. And that, that just makes perfect sense to me. So I, I love it. I love your philosophy. Well, why do you value management development? What does it do for you? What does it do for your clients? Yeah, I mean, I almost think it's sort of like, the, it's like the second most important thing any group of people do. <laughs> it's, you know, you're, you're providing a service, a product to your end customer. And that's the most important thing you do. Mm-hmm. And then I really sort of see management development as, as the the time you spend, whether it's intentional or not, on how are we doing what we do? How are we doing it together? How are we supporting one another? How are we leading the people that we got to lead to go do it? So that again, we can go go back and you know uh, hit the anvil, you know uh, hit the hot iron on the anvil again. You know, go go back to return to making, serving, producing, creating, right the essential work itself. And so I'm not sure I, sometimes I don't take management development apart and look at it in isolation from how are we working together? Because mm-hmm. it's so part and parcel. So I, I think that like, it's it's the second most important thing any group of people do. <laughs> to, to conquer, to create, to, to do any, any endeavor. And that's like a really broad, a really broad definition. But I, I think because, you know, there's not a lot of companies or organizations of, can afford or will make a conscious investment mm-hmm. in management development. So what I try to do is, is, is help my clients kind of see that, hey, just thinking about how we work together and how we do our work is naturally going to mean we're going to develop strength and muscles and new skill in how we lead one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting how you sort of tie those two things together. And I think it's it's important to think, how do we work together as a unit and not separate out manager from employee, but us together? How are we going to achieve the mission? 
So that makes that makes perfect sense. Thank you. How do you approach management development? You know, first by listening. Um, you know, I I will talk to talk to people on the ground, talk to leaders, talk to customers if I can. Uh, oftentimes, we're called in for help either because stuff's growing and all of a sudden there's a lot more to do, or there's new to do, or things are changing, and the way we did or what we did ain't gonna still work or or be as desired for some new condition. And so I always think it sort of starts by listening. It starts by understanding what that mission is. What's the essence of the output of the work um, that's created? How does it have impact on people? I think the other thing is to really listen to what motivates people to perform this job. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer. There was a, a great Polish-American organizational psychologist in the 1970s, Mikhail Chekmihai. And he, he wrote this great book called Flow. And he studied, you know, he studied everybody from tax accountants to meat butchers, to bricklayers, to political men and women and their figures and said, what, what gives them joy? What, what gives them that sense of flow, that sense that they're no longer conscious of the time that they're spending? And they're exerting their energy and their effort into a task and sensing that feeling of reward. And so I'm also really interested in how people are wired around to do their job at their best and what gives them that sense of flow. Because I think ultimately to work as one or to work, it, we want a structure, we want an environment that is able to enable that sense of flow for us as much as possible. And, and management and developing management is really saying, hey, organizationally as a, as a system and as a unit, how are we encouraging that, that virtuous flow cycle for the tasks that people perform? What do we need to do it? Because it's going to look really different. You know, when I, when I work with a group of firefighters, as I do sometimes, the kind of command and control structure that they need to, to support emergencies is really different than when I work with software developers that are, you know, running on other people's money, uh, you know, out of a garage or out of a, an incubator in downtown Seattle, uh, trying to develop a product and beta test it and prove to their investors that they can delight customers or create value for a business. And so I, I think that intrinsically kind of understanding what gives people joy in the work is something that you manage towards. Mm -hmm. And I love your reference to flow. I haven't read the whole book, but I've read parts of it. And I love the idea of, you know, what's it like when you're, you lose yourself in your task and, and you're just completely content and happy and cruising. And for a manager to be aware of and mindful of how do I get my team into flow I think is is a great insight. That's marvelous. Yeah, under, understanding understanding the work, and that's fun. You know, mm -hmm. I, I I you know I think I kind of like I like people, and I like figuring out kind of well, what is it that they do, and and what enables them to be awesome at it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you gotta you gotta like what you're doing. So as a manager, you gotta like doing that kind of work, and then you have to help your team find the joy in their work. So that they knock it out of the park so that they create products and services that their company's customers will love, right? That's right. You know, and there's joy in work. There's also, though, that I think the sense of flow is also a, a, a deeper sense of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You know, listen, a lot of work out there is not going to be a passion feeder. 
you know, for people. And and there and it is necessitated by need, which is which is fair and in the way the way the world rolls, right? But still, I think there's that 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 sense of consumption and the task in a really positive way, mm-hmm. even when it is need based, and that good management, good people management, doesn't get in the way of that. It fosters it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And helping people understand that there's a connection between what they're doing right now, which may not be a passion feeder, to the greater good, the the greater goal that we're trying to do, the the, the product that's going to break the internet or whatever it is. And there's another side to it too, and and that is that you know, not be happy with myself to use a sports analogy, but there is also aspects of a manager needing to manage to outcomes. If you're if you're the if you're the skipper of the baseball club and you're in the bench, you have to make dis, you have to make game time decisions about who plays. You're pulling mm-hmm. pitchers. You're changing the batting order, and so there's an element of management that is is not only the sort of fostering the human or or enabling the human to perform at their best, but also as a as a larger unit and team, are are we producing? you know, at our best. And what choices and decisions do you have to make to uphold that? Because mm-hmm. the the system that you're in is going to evaluate you on that probably even more than that you're taking care of your people and that you're nurturing. And that requires that you know that team really well, that you know each individual really well and know their strengths and weaknesses and know when to switch up the batting order, to use that analogy, to know I'm going to put so-and-so in here and so-and-so in there. Um, because that's where the, they're best suited. It does, and and then you get older, and and you get promoted, and you know again to push on the analogy even even further, you'll be more and more removed from the day to day game and the players, mm-hmm. and so then you have to go. Okay, do I have a coterie of other people that I work with that are those coaches and managers, right? Mm-hmm. You know that can see it close hand because you're then you're beginning to go look at. How, how the whole league is performing, right? You know, I know you didn't want to use a sports analogy, <laughs> but it just, it, it works. It can, yeah. Yeah, it, it can. It, 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 it can. I, you know, I think too, like in our generation, you know, the nature of work has changed so much. You know, I, I think back to my, my grandfather delivered bread. He had a Pepperidge Farm bread route. A great job, you know. He he had a truck route. He was responsible for medium-sized city for delivering bread in upstate New York. Was able to raise a family, send send his two kids to college on that kind of job. And you know, he was part of a supply chain. And so the task that he had to perform and sort of the system that he was in, he probably didn't. He probably did think of himself as being part of a supply chain, right? You know, and, and it was very much a time kind of post-World War II in this country where we still were thinking most most jobs were tied to some kind of industrial input and output. And the way you organize work and the tasks you perform are operational and repetitive. And as we've kind of moved into an information age, you know, most of my clients are are not performing tasks in an ongoing operation but are are actually needing to sort of think and make decisions based on what they observe, behavior that they see, data, right? And adjust or make risks or seek resources to expand 
or make changes. And, and it's a very different way of working with people and gathering information. And so the power and the sort of importance of relationship and discernment and what inputs are you using to make decisions becomes so much more like the, the go-to tools that I think new managers need to embrace. And, and we may not have had the role models, you know, of our parents or, or even some educational systems on how to do that. This comment feeds brilliantly into my next question. So I'm just going to go right into the next question, which is, where do you think the management development space needs to go to evolve and help companies achieve more? I think, you know, organizations are flatter. And I also think that the area that we're learning the most about humanity right now is probably in neuroscience and in how our brains work physically and what it means to be motivated as, as a human, as a human being and as a species. And so I think it's going to, it's teaching us, it's mm-hmm. teaching us things already. It's teaching us things around bias. It's teaching us things around that flow and reward cycle. And so I think that older school of management training was almost very kind of like business school, economic, a a human being as an, as an, as a a productivity widget. (laughs) Whereas I, I, I think we're really trending into a place of how do we thrive as a species? How do we thrive as an individual human? And then how are we kind of creating systems of behavior and culture and, and ways of communicating and interacting so that we can do that as one to, you know, design, design software or uh, invent the next awesome RM, RMA messenger vaccine or deliver like really critical uh, public services, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, to communities. I think, I think that the, that to me is like really cool and interesting and I think it's also really where we're, where we're kind of really changing. We're really sort of thinking about that work and the endeavor of work has got to be more connected to human thriving. Yeah, I agree, especially given the state of the world today. I think that's, that's key. That's really important. And one of the things that I've heard you say multiple times over the past 20 minutes is working as one. So being connected as one. That seems to be a, kind of an important theme for you. Yeah, I guess yeah, maybe you're 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 sort of uh, playing the tape back to me to echo it back. I think I think in a lot of the organizations absolutely. And and in those of us that are, you know, in professional services, it's it's that unity with your partner, right? Maybe mm-hmm. unity is too strong a term, but certainly that's that symbiosis, right? Because the force multiplier in anything that we we do is not what you can do alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can do with others and hence the need for management in the first place. <laughs> yeah. A good, a good manager is valuable. Yeah. All right. Well, before we transition into the speed round, do you have a product or a service you'd like to plug? My own work, mm-hmm. if I were to plug anything is, is certainly one-on-one coaching and, and what does it mean to manage? What does it mean to manage in your particular place and environment and industry that you're in? It's certainly something that I do one-on-one. It's certainly something that I do uh, through partners in creating management tools and support for new leaders you know, in, a, in a coaching realm. I think I also do, and I, and I really 
enjoy doing work that is identifying team or organizational culture mm-hmm. and the, the patterns and the systems and the rituals and the customs um, that they begin to put in place so they can go do what they got to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I guess if I were to plug two things that I do, it would certainly be in, in those two spaces. Okay. So you were talking about your own coaching. This is actually a natural place. How can folks get a hold of you if they would like to experience your fabulous coaching? I have a website. <laughs> My LLC, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting name. It's called Duende, D-U-E-N-D-E dot one, reachable via the internet. And you can learn a little bit about kind of what I do and, and, and the, way I, the way I think. You know, I chose that name because people always ask, what, what does that mean? And, and Duende really does speak to flow speaks to that sense. It's a, it's an old term from folklore, actually from Spain. And then a famous Spanish writer and poet wrote an essay about Duende about 100, 120 years ago about, you know, when a sense spirit or emotion becomes all consuming in a, in a positive way. And so I very much kind of look to tapping in where possible that sense of inspiration in work. And that's why I called my, my company that. That is deep. I wondered about the, the name of your company because it's not, it's not just a, a blah, blah, blah.com. It's you know, duende, which is an interesting word, dot one. Now it all makes sense. Yeah. Somebody else had dot com. So that mm-hmm. was, that was much more practical. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right. Speed round. Yeah. You, re- you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. If you could interview anyone, if you were in my seat, who would it be and why? I had three people. So I'm a history buff. So Abe Lincoln, uh, what would Abe Lincoln think now? Albert Einstein, as I get older, I'm in with the, with the Webb telescope and all the new discoveries is able to show us. It's, it's seeming, as I understand, to prove Einstein more and more right. So I'd, I'd love to have uh, Albert talk me through why that's true. And, and then finally, and this is, this is an oddball blast from the past, but like I, I, I don't know if Moses was real or not, but I'm assuming that, that there must be some uh, some factoid there. And and if so, I'd be very curious to hear of that person's adventure. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine? <laughs> and then and then this bush which was on fire talked to me. Yeah, talk to me. And or or like and how'd you get those tablets? And what what was that like? You know? So yeah, I'm 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 curious. Yeah, that would be a fascinating conversation. Okay, next. Favorite vacation spot and why? Mm, you love to travel way too much to probably have one favorite spot, but I love, uh, we're here in Seattle, the beautiful Pacific Northwest. I love uh, driving up to Deception State Park. Mm. So Deception Pass is this place, kind of the boundary between Whidbey Island and Fidalgo Island, but you can kind of get there by bridges. And I don't know, it's this gorgeous state park that kind of has like all the best features of sort of, you know, lowland Puget Sound. It's got these steep hills, these green, green, green trees, bays, inlets. You can hike, you can camp around. It's close enough, you know, to to, to fun places to eat in Laconer or up in Anacortes, or even, even you can hightail it back to Seattle if you need to, that it's a great place to visit for a day or hang out. So that's kind of my kind of go-to spot these days when I want to get out of town and clear my head and hike around. We were just there. 
We were literally just there over the, the Thanksgiving holiday. We spent the week on Orcas Island and drove through Deception Pass and checked it out and hung out a little bit. So, yeah, awesome. Where would you most like to travel? My, my wife and I broke the pandemic cabin fever stretch in September, and we took a really great month-long trip. And we, we went to Italy for a month, and it was just great. We had cabin fever. You know, after it's been three years, we'd done some domestic travel during the pandemic. So it was really exciting and fun. And we, and boy, we felt out of practice, brought too much stuff. And like, we forgot that you don't need to, you know, bring as much. And, and we had a great time. And it really got us thinking of like, we have to take advantage if we can of being digital nomads at some point in the next couple of years. And we began to think about, okay, if we were to do that, like what would be the digital nomad criteria of where we could go? And I don't have the answer to your question yet, but this is this is kind of like dinner table conversation that we're having of like, okay, it needs to be on a fast rail line, medium-sized city, good food and culture. You know, we're not we're open. This, this could be in Asia. This could be in Europe. This could be in North Africa. And like, okay, like what you know? And, and obviously, fast internet. So if we had to do a little bit of work and and connect into the world, we could. So I, I'll throw it back out to you and your readers. G- give us ideas because that's that's what we want to do next. Oh uh, well, you and I have a mutual acquaintance in Michaela Kiner, and she's doing it from Costa Rica. And I'm jealous. <laughs> and I think we have another mutual acquaintance who I know has sort of successfully set up his shop, I believe, in Nice, mm-hmm. in France. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I'm, I've, yeah, they're 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 role models for us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, have laptop and passport, we'll travel. So, yep. Who knows? This show might go on the road. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right. Last question: What brings you the most joy in your life? You know, I think as I get older, I think I come to appreciate I'm pretty expressive. And I think that in that impact when I'm coaching or in that impact um, when I'm working with clients, you know, you say something or you facilitate a conversation in a certain way that has an impact and you feel that impact, feel it somatically, kind of not, not just that the light bulb goes on in the brain or the thought moves, but you kind of feel it in the body. The presence of it, I think that's it. And then, then you're like going, yeah, all right, today was today was worth living. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Seth, thank you so much. That was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed having you on. It was lovely getting to know you better. So thank you so much for being here. Tell us again how people can find you. Yep. Duende, D-U-E-N-D-E dot one dot O-N-E. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. And we'll see you during the next show. Bye-bye. Thanks, Slider. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com. 